Welcome back to another episode of the Girls Talk Money podcast. If you're watching the video version of this, you can see that we are still at FinCon and we're still filming in our hotel room, but um, it's nice being in person. We're getting to strategize a lot on the podcast and we're learning a lot about podcasting, um, which has been really exciting. Yeah, yeah, this has been fun. Um, it's like literally 8 p.m. now. It's like so dark. We're filming like with like a bunch of like ring lights and like everything. So it's been a lot kind of figuring out like the tech aspect of filming in person, but it's good. We are learning a lot about like podcasting and video editing and all of this stuff. So it has been really fun. And I just feel like when we come to these things, we like end up feeling so inspired for like, like Grace and I are like, oh my gosh, we could do this. And like thinking like so far ahead with the podcast. So we are really excited. We have a ton of really exciting episode ideas coming out of this weekend. So yes. it's been really fun. Yes, we do. And one of our initial ideas we actually had for the podcast is today's episode, which is all about financial mistakes. And we have our own we're going to share, but then we also asked you guys on social media as well. So if you're not following us there, you should, because we love getting your feedback, but we got some really interesting responses. I think we both got diff really different responses from our individual audiences, which is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of really just like high quality conversations to have around the financial mistake. The initial idea for this episode was more focused on our financial mistakes. But with that, like I think, and we're going to have this conversation, but I think um, this episode just strictly talking from like our financial mistake perspective is kind of interesting because like one big benefit about learning about personal finance so early in your life is that your financial mistakes are super relative to your age and your income. Obviously, if you learn about money when you're younger, then you don't have as much time to make these big financial mistakes. The financial mistakes that you do make are relative. If you're not making a ton of money, like the mistakes that you're making aren't like huge, huge money mistakes yet. Yeah. So um, we are going to spend some time talking about each of our three biggest financial mistakes we made in our 20s, but then we're going to spend a lot of time kind of digging into the ones that you guys submitted, obviously anonymously, on our social channels as well. So I think it's going to be a fun episode. Yeah. Do you want to kick us off with your your first financial mistake? <laughs> yes. So again, we listed our top three. I'm going to talk about mine um, in the order from like furthest away to like most recent. So my first financial mistake that I made in my 20s was when I was in college. And the overarching financial mistake that I listed here was just like not spending intentionally. But I think there's a lot that goes into this um, because I did not learn how to like spend intentionally and really understand where my money was going until I was about like 22, like well out of college. So from the ages of like 19 to 22, I did a really poor job of like understanding where my money was going and like making sure that I was spending money like in a good, I feel like I focused so much on like increasing my income and being like, okay, like if I don't have enough money, like let me just like work more hours and get another part-time job and like get a better paying internship. But then like, I never knew where my money was going. Um, so the first point that I have listed about this financial mistake was I had a hard time saving because I never took time to set definitive savings goals. And I think this is like a really important point. So um, I feel like not a lot of people know this. I really don't talk about this a lot on my channel, but I did study abroad for a semester in college. I was 19 years old at the time. And from the ages of 17 to 19, I had that goal in my head. I really wanted to study abroad and I knew that if I wanted to do it, I needed to save for it. So for those two years, I ended up saving $10,000 because I was so diligent. I worked like six days a week. I put away like every single dollar that I spent because I um, really wanted to study abroad. Then when I got 
back, I all of a sudden didn't have any goals. And I was like, okay, well, since I don't have any savings goals, like I can just spend everything that I make. So that's what I did. I spent like any dollar that was in my account, like got spent. Um, and just on like the dumbest stuff. Um, another point that I have here is like spending money on things that I didn't actually want to be spending my money on, like the whole like financial FOMO aspect. Like my friends were going to the bars and even if I didn't want to go to the bar, I had FOMO. So I ended up spending like $150 going out that night or just things like that. Like I wasn't very intentional about how I spent my money. And through that, I did not save anything for those three years. And that was a big financial mistake. Yeah. I definitely did the same thing. I think one of my biggest ones, I think I'm thinking back to like, what was the first one? I think well, I think one of the, the things that was like the furthest back for me that I wrote down was not investing in health early on. I think I let a lot of health things go like to the point where they're like really, really bad before I decided to like splurge on that because I was like, oh, like, I don't know. I just can't really justify that. And then my life got exponentially better when I started investing in my health a lot more, like going and seeing specialists, doing all that, taking care of myself. And I think that that is something that came with maturity. When I was a teenager, I was just like, yeah, I'll just like eat whatever. I don't like, yeah, I'll go to the doctor, but like, I'm not going to go see a specialist. Like I'll just sit in pain. Like it's fine. I'm not going to go get a massage to like make it so my back doesn't hurt. Like, you know, those types of things. Um, and I also consider buying like, like I bought a standing desk this year. I bought a walking pad for underneath my standing desk. And I consider those more like health kind of purchases mm -hmm. because it's yeah, like, but to, yeah, to having like a good ergonomic work set up and all of that. And, um, I think before I just didn't want to invest in that. I didn't see the purpose per se. And now that I've gotten older, I'm like, no shoot. Like I really need to take care of myself and my body. And I definitely wish I did that sooner for sure. Yeah. They say, um, what's like the saying it's like prevention is cheaper than like, curing oh stuff yeah, like, yeah. Like related to health. So it's like, spending the money up front is like cheaper because then if you like let things go like for example I like see a chiropractor because my dad has really bad arthritis and yeah. he says like he wished that he like saw a chiropractor because that can like be he has um arthritis in his neck and that can like very much so prevent that so yeah like spending the money up front so that like mm -hmm. later on down the line and like luckily we're recognizing that in the ripe ages of like 24 yeah like 40. I, know. <laughs> I know I think about if I let certain things go longer I mean even this year I've spent so much on my health like thousands of dollars and if I had even waited a few more years it'd probably be significantly more or if I had addressed it sooner I would have spent less so I feel like I don't know just getting ahead on those types of things um I wish I did that sooner for sure. Yeah, 100%. My next financial mistake that I made in my 20s was right after college graduation. And I hate like calling this a financial mistake because I do think I made the best choice with the information that I had at the time. Um, but my overarching financial mistake is that I bought a new-ish car. I say new-ish because it was pretty much a new car. It was just like right after I graduated from college was the time where like COVID was kind of ending and there was like the car shortage mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so there really weren't any cars on the lot. Um, so it was new ish because it was technically like a loaner car. So it had like a thousand miles on it or whatever, yeah. but it was basically new. Um, and there weren't really any used cars. So that was like my justification for like, okay, like 
I I'll get new because there's like really no used cars. I really didn't have any options. Um, but basically, so like why I got this car was because I graduated from college and I got a job where I was traveling like 80% of the time and it was all driving. So I would wake up on Monday morning and drive five hours to like the middle of nowhere in West Virginia. And I was a bank examiner. So I'd be like examining the bank all week and then drive five hours home and then like repeat the next Monday. And my car was just starting to have some problems. It was like a 2012. So it wasn't super old, but it was starting to have problems. And my dad was like, I don't want you breaking down in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia. And like, um, since you get per diem when you drive for work, um, you get like mileage reimbursement and like all of that stuff. He was like, your mileage reimbursement can kind of like cover your car payment. So that was like the justification for it. And I did a really good job of getting like, I got the base model. I got like the car that was best on gas because I wanted to like optimize my mileage reimbursement. So I tried to be smart about it. Um, so it wasn't a financial mistake, but literally a month and a half after I got that car, I quit that job and accepted another job. So like my 2012 Nissan Sentra would have been totally fine. Um, but again, it's one of those things. It's like, what are you going to do about it? I like, that was the information that I had at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I always say with like just regular life things, but especially money stuff, like don't cry over spilled milk. Mm -hmm. It's one of those situations where it's already done. Like, what are you going to do? Like, beat yourself up about it now? Like, no, it's just, okay, maybe like think it through deeper the next time. Like, think about the fact the next time you buy a car, like, I'm now, I know that I'm remote 100% of the time, right? But I, yeah, I think you did, but yeah, you're, I, I think you made the best choice with the information you had 100%. at the time. Um, one of the, let's see, one of the next things that I said was a financial mistake I made in my 20s. I feel like these two kind of like go hand in hand. Um, I have this desire, which many of you might relate to. If I do not know all of the information, I do not feel equipped to make a decision. And that is such a toxic thing because you're never, especially with personal finance, you're never going to know 100% of the details. I was just talking to two very experienced real estate investors the other day. I was interviewing them and they said the exact same thing. They were like, there are situations that pop up with our Airbnbs, with our long-term rentals, where we don't know how to handle it. We don't, we have to like think it through. It's not something we've experienced before, but if we didn't make a choice, like if we decided not to invest in real estate because we didn't know the answers to all these things. We would never invest in real estate. And I sat for so many years. I knew like, I want to start investing when I'm young, but I was so afraid of making the wrong decision. I didn't feel like no matter all the research I did, I didn't feel like I have enough information. So I just sat there and I just didn't do anything. And then I didn't start investing until I think I was 22 maybe. So only like two or three years ago. And I wish I definitely started sooner. Um, and I think that I, I was just so afraid of making the wrong decision. I think especially when it comes to investing, I, I was afraid of, God, what if I lose my money? What if I, you know, I just was really afraid of that. And I think because I was afraid of making a wrong decision, I failed to make any decision and that just kept me exactly where I was. Yeah. So I wasn't like growing financially. I wasn't improving really anything. I was kind of just chilling where I was. And I think I... I wish I took action despite not having all the details much sooner. We were just, so this is something that we actually learned like in the conference that we're at. This conference is kind of like for creators to like teach you how to, yeah, whatever. Um, but I think this is something that we um, have been learning about. It's just kind of like taking the approach, like reminding your audience that you don't know everything and that you're not coming 
to the content with like an instructor's point of view, but rather like a peer, because I think often times like people see our content as like, okay, well they like are investing in saving and stuff because they're like experts or they like, no, like, like, no, literally no, (laughs) no, I, I feel like a lot of it is that we know where to find the information and we know like who to ask for the information when we don't have the answers, but like, we don't know everything. So I feel like that's something that I really want to try to implement in my content is just like reminding everyone that like, we're only a couple steps ahead. Like we really don't know much of anything yeah. actually in the grand scheme of things. I always say with, cause I get a lot of questions about how I started my marketing business and how I did that. And I don't have a degree in marketing. I have no experience. And I would tell people, I'm like, you do not have to have all the answers. You just need to be willing to find them. So when shit hits the fan, you don't have to know in an instant, okay, I need to do this. You just need to know or have the capability to go Google the answer. And that's what I've done the entire time. Everything I've learned about money mostly has come from like books or Googling and Google's free. So like, you know, you can find the answer. I don't know. I think, I think it tends to keep a lot of people feeling trapped in the situation they are in. And they're like, God, I just, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to, whatever. Um, but usually there's a way to kind of solve that if, if you run into an issue that you don't know the answer to. Okay. So my third and final financial mistake that I made in my twenties was Moving in with a guy too soon. Um, <laughs> this is something that I have shared like pretty publicly, like on my TikTok, um, in a few different like occasions. But um, I used to live with my ex boyfriend. We lived together for about a year and a half, and it's not necessarily like a mistake to move in with a significant other. I think like in so many cases, it makes so much sense, and like obviously, like depending on your relationship and everything like that. But we definitely did it way too soon. Um, I feel like we, I mean, we were young, like impulsive, whatever. Um, and luckily we were in a situation where we didn't have like a defined lease. So it wasn't necessarily the fact that like, oh, I got stuck paying like two rents when I had to move out. Like I was very fortunate in that situation. Luckily we didn't buy a house together. Like I literally posted TikTok videos for a couple of months about how my ex-boyfriend and I were thinking about buying a house together. Like that would have been obviously a monumental um financial mistake but like we luckily we didn't end up going that route however um we did get a pet together we got a dog together and anything that's kind of like that's kind of seen as like property in the eyes of the law i guess um so anything kind of like that does bind you to a person and when we split it like got kind of ugly over like who was going to end up getting the dog and long story short um as some of you may know if you follow me on tiktok my ex ended up suing me for five thousand dollars for my dog and i just wrote the check and i paid it because i didn't want to deal with that um five thousand dollars is an an annoying amount of money to sue someone for because you will end up paying that amount in lawyer fees anyway if you decide to go to court and fight it um and also i like didn't want there to be any way that he could potentially end up getting the dog. So it was kind of like $5,000 for my peace of mind, but that was 100% a $5,000 financial mistake. Um, I think if you are in a situation where you're in a relationship, thinking about getting a pet, like just establishing upfront, like whose dog it actually is not splitting it, only putting one person's name on the, um on the paper registration all of that and then like kind of coming up with your contingency plan for what's going to happen when um you ultimately break up if that's so happens i think it's tricky because i don't think i would get a pet with somebody until i was like engaged or married for that reason but it's not something i really even thought about because i don't have any pets nor am i like in a committed relationship but 
I didn't really think about it until it happened to you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just, it's one of those things I feel like a lot of people don't think yeah, about. Yeah, don't think about it. Yeah. Like, I consider myself very financially literate, but I was not thinking about it in the sense of money at all. And I think, like, for me as well, I was never a big pet person. Um, So it was his idea to get the dog, but obviously we were living together. I was the one working from home, so I knew that I would be the one taking care of the dog. So he was kind of like, like, I needed to be on board if that was going to happen because it was going to be my dog. I literally said to him, I was like, you cannot get a dog and then, like, expect me to take care of the dog. So we kind of waited until I was on board for it. Um, We went to go, like, pick out the dog together all of that. Um, but I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of like, Oh, what's going to happen if we break, because before you get the pet, you like, don't realize how much you're going to love the pet as well. So you don't see it as big of a deal as it is. But once you bring that pet home, like Bella is my child, literally my child. Um, I would still to this day not be okay if I didn't have her. So like, and when you have it, when you're getting a pet like that with a partner, you're not going into it thinking, you're going to break up. You're obviously in the relationship because you genuinely see the relationship going somewhere. You wouldn't make that type of commitment to buy. It is a piece of property to buy a piece of property, invest all the time, energy and everything into training her and whatever with the idea of like, Oh, we're going to like break up in a few months, but like, let's buy a dog now. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's something, I mean, I know a lot of people who are in just like relationships they are not engaged or married or anything and they do have pets. And I, I, I'm like, Oh God. I mean, I really hope, obviously I hope they all stay together and that they don't have to deal with that. But it is something that I feel like gets really messy really fast. Yes, I feel like we could do an entire episode episode on um, just kind of like managing finances in a relationship and just kind of making sure that you're like crossing all of your boxes to where like if you guys break up, like it's not going to be a huge financial stress yeah. for you um, between like what happens when you decide you want to move in together. Like how do you manage like what happens to the lease and like just planning for all of those things because it is again something like you don't go into a relationship thinking that it's going to end and you don't think about things in terms of like the monetary value of what can happen when you do ultimately break up yeah for sure um on a more lighthearted note (laughs) um the last financial mistake that I kind of wrote about was and this is kind of like a tricky one because I also think it was something that I made the best decision in the moment with the information that I had and again it was kind of like a situation where you don't go into it thinking it's not going to work out but Um, I kind of talked about like skipping out on small things that could save me from larger mishaps later on. So for example, um, this time last year, I decided that uh, it was like September of 2022. I wanted to be a digital nomad. And my plan was to live in a different city every month. And so I booked, you know, four different Airbnbs, like it was three or four. I, I saved like crazy for them. And I booked them all. And I had like my flight booked down to my first location. And I didn't even think about travel insurance or anything related to that. And it always seemed like an unnecessary expense. I'm like, I just spent two grand on an Airbnb. Why am I going to spend, you know, an extra $250 on insurance? Well, I got down to my first location. I was in Atlanta. I was in an area where I did not feel safe at all. There was, you know, there were a lot of situations just um, having to step over people who are on like the front steps to my condo and, you know, just being harassed when I was walking down the street, just very uncomfortable things. And it made my mental health just like plummet. And so I made the choice to come home and to cancel the rest of the trip and reevaluate what I wanted to do. And so I left after a week and luckily the Airbnb that I was in at the time in Atlanta, they 
refunded me the rest. The host was an angel. He was like, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. I'll refund you the rest of the month, like the prorated amount. And I had an Airbnb booked in Austin. They refunded me that. But my Airbnb that was in Dallas, it was the one Airbnb that I like splurged on. And I spent like $2,300 for it. It was a studio. So it wasn't even a big place, but it had a gorgeous infinity pool. And I was like, I deserve it. This is going to be so fun. This is going to be a great place. The host refused to refund me. And it was, I let her know like several months in advance. I mean, at that point, yeah. it was like three months and she refused to refund me. And I get it. She's a business yeah. and it is really my fault. I didn't get travel insurance and she offered me a credit for $2,300. And she said, you can come stay in my place in the next six months if I have availability. And why like I yeah. didn't at that point I was like no no I need to go back home take care of my mental health and reevaluate my situation I'm not coming back here in the next six months and that's such a short time yeah. frame I tried to negotiate with her and everything but ultimately she wouldn't give me anything other than that offer of the credit for six months and I decided not to use it because again I, I was like I'm mm -hmm. taking care of my mental health at this point I'm not going to go back to Dallas by myself and live in a studio for a month um but had I gotten the travel insurance that Airbnb offered, I would have been able to get all of my money back. And I feel like a lot of times I'm like, no, I don't want to spend that extra money to like insure this item or to get the travel insurance or whatever. But now, I mean, I was, I lost $2,300 and I was very upset with myself about it for a while. And then I just was again, like, what am I going to cry over spilled milk? Like it's happened. Yeah. I had to take care of myself. The money will come back to me, whatever. But I think had I just not been so frugal and I spent the $200 on the travel insurance, I would have saved myself. I would have netted still positive $2,100. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that was, it's something that it's like a mind game for me. It's something I need to think about a lot more so that I don't have more financial mistakes that are kind of like that. You 100%. know, 100%. There's so many like applicable and insurance is like a big one yeah. between um travel insurance. Like if you're going abroad and maybe mm -hmm. like your health insurance doesn't cover yeah. or like just different things like that or like what happens if your flight gets canceled what happens mm -hmm. if your like bag gets delayed um like for example I have like um a premium credit card and it has a lot of yeah. travel insurances bag insurances um things like that so that if like I lose my bag and thousands of dollars worth of stuff is in my check bag and all of a sudden like I need to replace that because I don't yeah. have this credit card even though this credit card costs me four hundred dollars a year yeah um so just like different things like that another one that comes to my mind is pet insurance yes um like again I just talked about how much I love my dog and <laughs> you kind of feel like you write write like yeah. a blank check when you get a pet yeah. um but then like pet insurance can kind of help mitigate that because obviously like if my dog had to go to the hospital I would pay any amount of money to yes. save her but pet insurance kind of gives me that peace of mind that like even though I am paying like upfront a monthly fee like she's covered she's good I am I do like financial writing for people who maybe don't follow me on social media and don't know exactly what I do during the day but I used to write for a publication that was about pet ownership and I used to write the financial articles about it and I did an article on pet insurance and it's crazy because um the amount that you'll pay in premiums like over the lifetime of your dog is the, right around the equivalent of the average price of one trip to the vet, like an unexpected mm -hmm. emergency trip. So it's like, even if, you're, if your pet goes to the hospital one time throughout their entire life, you're winning. Because yes. like, then the second time they go, you're, you're, sa you're just saving so much. And that's mm -hmm. like, I see a lot of people who don't do that or they wait to get pet insurance until their pet mm -hmm. is several years old and everything they've experienced before that is now a pre-existing condition that's not covered it's like just 
just pay the 30 bucks a month, yeah. you know, like it really can like spending the little bit of money every month can save you so much down the line. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, something yeah. really important to think about. 100%. Well, those are our financial mistakes. Should we get into some of the ones that our yes. listeners submitted? There were interesting, really interesting ones in here. Um, and I don't know, I think it'll be cool to kind of like talk through them and get our opinions on them. Yeah. I think my audience had more, um, I don't know, more like kind of standard mistakes, mm -hmm. but I think that there are a few that are good to have conversations around. I know your audience had more specific mistakes, yeah, like very interesting, <laughs> super niche, but I think one of the ones that was interesting to me was someone had said one of their biggest financial mistakes was taking out a personal loan with a high interest rate in a time of need. And I think this kind of is like an interesting conversation where if you are really like in a time of need and you're, you're struggling to get by what do you do? You know, because I see a lot of people go into credit card debt, but the interest rate on that is like 25%. So logically you see a personal loan offer for 10% and it's like, well, that makes more sense, but then it can also lead you in the same position as the credit card debt. So it kind of yeah. is like a challenging situation to navigate. So I think I got, I got a lot of responses to this question um, that basically said like not starting an emergency fund. And I yeah. kind of read that as like, that's basically what they were saying that the yeah. mistake was, was like being in that time of need because of the emergency fund aspect. Yeah. Because yeah, like you said, like if you are in that need, mm -hmm. what are your options? Like sometimes yeah. that might be interest rate wise, the best option. Um, yeah. But the mistake being kind of the emergency fund fees. Yeah. I know other people in my audience also said just generally like not starting sooner, not investing sooner, not saving sooner. And I think one thing too, that a lot of people do that are in that boat is they underestimate how small contributions can add up quickly, right? So maybe every paycheck, all you can do is $50 into your emergency fund. But by the end of that of the year, that's like $1,200. So if you have a $500 emergency where you have to get new tires in your car or something like that, you have the cash mm -hmm. there. And it doesn't seem like a lot, especially when you're seeing content online that's like, you must have a $10,000 emergency fund. It's like, well, why would I contribute $1,200 a year? That sounds silly, but it can save mm -hmm. you from those situations where you're like, crap, I have this expense. I don't know what to do. So you take out a loan or you put it on your credit card or something like that. Yeah. And it spirals out of control a lot quicker. I used to listen to um, so many money podcasts when I was like trying to become financially literate in college. And one episode really stuck with me. And it was, um, it was, I think it was the bigger pockets money podcast. They do a lot of like interviews for regular people who like have done really cool things with their money, whether it started from like X and now they're at Y and Y being like they've retired earlier. They've just like accomplished something money wise, but they're just regular people. And it's all about like telling stories of like success stories and everything like that. Um, I've learned so much from that podcast, but this one episode was this man talking about how like at his low point and what was like the break for him in kind of like being like, okay, I really need to get my financial shit together was he didn't have an emergency fund and his car broke down and he had to take the car to the shop and it was like $800 to pay for it. And he didn't have the $800. And for some reason, I think he like didn't have access to credit or like some, something along those lines, he like literally could not get his car worked on. And because of that, he couldn't go to work. So now he's like in this situation where he can't make money. He doesn't have the money to pay for the car and he can no longer like make the money to pay for yeah, the car. Because, yeah, it's just like this like vicious cycle. So yeah, I think the emergency fund piece is like super big. Yeah, I agree. I think your, your audience had really cool answers. I think some of the other just like standard things people in my audience said 
um, things like maxing out credit cards, student loans and not understanding the terms, um, getting a, into a, a high car payment, which is something that we actually were just talking about earlier today where people are like, oh yeah, I can afford, uh, there's a difference between having the money for something and being able to afford it. And there's a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, I can, I have the money to pay a $700 car payment. And then they realize that by the end of it, with all the interest, they've paid $40,000 for their $25,000 car. Yeah. And, and on like, top of that, the they hell? <laughs> and on top of that, they didn't think through like, now my gas is more expensive. Um, now my maintenance is more expensive. My insurance the is insurance, more. Yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden your $700 car payment is adding an extra $1,500 a month into your budget yeah. and just kind of like not thinking through that. Yeah. But you did mention credit cards. And I, obviously this is like an answer that I got a lot on mine as well. I think like credit card debt overwhelmingly is like something that so many people struggle with. Um, and like, people are definitely recognizing that that is like one of their biggest financial mistakes. Um, but some of like the different like niche answers yeah. that I got that I thought were interesting, just like the way that people phrase them. One was living off of credit cards and only paying the interest. And I think that this was a good way to put it. Like you almost see credit cards as like a way to access a different lifestyle. You know what yeah, I mean? Some it's people like, say it is free money. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> so oh, free. Like, yeah. Like, Oh, I all of a sudden have access to be able to buy new clothes and go out with my friends. And it's just kind of like giving you access to a different lifestyle and then realizing that you have to pay back with a lot of interest. Um, yeah. And then the second one was opening new credit cards before the others were paid off that Ooh. I thought was really interesting. Like, yeah, just kind of, first of all, I am totally in the boat that like every new account you add to your financial system makes it exponentially more complex. So I think if you're having trouble managing your current money system, opening a new card and like adding a new card to that is only going to make it harder for you to manage it. Yeah. Simplify um, your stack. Yeah, yeah. Simplify it. That's why I like to have like a lot of accounts with like one provider and just like kind of call it a day. Um, but especially if you are carrying a balance on a credit card, getting, a, I, I know a lot of people that end up doing this because it's like, Oh, um, this credit card has a 0% balance offer for like, or 0% interest offer for the first like six months. And they think that that's like a good way to kind of like use that credit card instead of there, but then you end up kind of just like spiraling from there. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, someone on mine also mentioned, which I think someone mentioned something similar to like in yours, but someone said living with someone that wasn't ready. And I think we were talking about this recently, um, having conversation about roommates and cause a couple weeks ago, my therapist told me, I was like debating living with a roommate. And I was just talking to her about the whole process of like finding a roommate. And she said, vet your roommates. Cause she was like, if somebody is, you know, maybe not quite sure if the rent fits in their budget or they don't know what their budget is or things like that, is that going to impact their ability to pay rent? And I think that's an interesting financial mistake because you're on a lease with that person. Mm -hmm. So if you get there and you realize they're not ready to take care of themselves, they're not ready to clean an apartment, they're not ready to pay the bill on time every month, they don't have that, you know, routine, they're not following through, like you're on a lease. So what yeah. are you going to do? You know, that's, yeah, that's a complicated uh, situation. And then you're paying to break the lease and leave early. Or I met somebody when I was, you know, traveling before who, had broken up with their partner, but had to live in the same apartment because neither of them 
wanted to pay to break the lease. So they're living together while being broken up. And I'm like, how is this working? You know, I just, that sounds like my personal health. Yeah, no, that sounds awful. Like I, and you don't want to have to be in that situation. So really making sure that you think through who you're signing a lease with, because a lease is a legal document. It is a contract Mm -hmm. you are signing and it's binding. So I don't know, thinking that through for sure. Yeah. Going off of that, this is like not super related to like relationships or anything or roommates, but someone said moving too many times. And this is something that I, I was like making a video, I think on TikTok a couple weeks ago that was all about like financial mistakes and, and like um things that will oh things that will like kill your budget in mm-hmm. your 20s and like moving will kill your budget in your 20s like 100 percent i think like people who move into a new apartment every single year mm-hmm. like don't realize the like sunk costs and just kind of like extra costs that you're like throwing at that mm-hmm. um so moving too many times will like kind of make it hard to get ahead yeah i think I kind of specked out like the cost of moving and I was like, oh my God, $1,500 to ship your car across the country. Then like paying for movers was like $3,000. Yeah. And I, someone did actually say, I forgot to write it down, but someone did say buying furniture for their apartment that no longer fit their new apartment. Oh. Like they bought furniture that was so yes. customized to where they were <laughs> living that when they did move, they had to get rid of all of it. And so they were like, great, now I just spent all this money and I'm trying to like sell it on Facebook Marketplace or get rid of it. But yeah, it, you're losing yeah. so much off of that. That's yeah. actually so funny. We just, the episode that we filmed before that, if you did not listen, go listen now, but we just filmed like a save versus splurge. We didn't end up talking about this one, but um, furniture for apartments is like one of my saves because- yeah. Yeah, like you you just move so much. You ultimately do end up moving so much in yeah. your 20s. Your space is not permanent. You're going to like either get more square footage, less square footage, and like splurging on nice yeah. furniture, I think ultimately will cost you more in the long run. It is tricky because I feel like uh, for me, I'm looking forward to moving out of my parents' house and having my own space and being able to make it feel really cozy and homey and whatever. But there's no reason for me to have a $5,000 couch, yeah. you know, just thinking about it because it's not going to, yeah, it's not going to be your mm-hmm. long-term space. So it's like, yeah, make it cozy for sure. Make it cute. Like get stuff that you love yeah. and that you, you enjoy. And maybe if there's something for me, like my standing desk was a bit more of a splurge. My walking pad was a bit more of a mm-hmm. splurge. A nice desk chair is probably a splurge. A nice Those mattress. Things, yeah. A nice mattress. Yeah. yeah that for sure. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and don't, don't buy a couch that's hard as a rock. Like make sure you actually like it, you yes. know, but don't make it something that you're so disappointed. I've seen people, oh my God, what is that that brand where they sell that giant mirror? It's like, I don't know if it's like an oh, anthropology, anthropology, anthropology yeah. mirror. It's like a thousand dollar mirror. And I saw recently that somebody was having to sell theirs because they didn't want to take it with them when they were moving because it's probably going to break. Yeah. I was like, a thousand dollar mirror? What? I'm sorry. Uh, no, yeah. no, ma'am. Go to the thrift store. <laughs> look on Facebook Marketplace. Buy the Amazon dupe. You know, like that type of stuff. Like you just you spent so much money and then mm-hmm. you can't even take it with you. And my thing as well, and I think this is like having a dog, or if you have kids, um, just like not having to stress about like if my dog like gets my couch a little dirty and like if there's dog hair all over my couch and just like things like that I don't want to have like I want my apartment to be cozy and lived in and just like feel kind of like at home and I don't want to like have one of those like everything's white and I like can't like you don't want to live in it yeah Yeah. yeah, I can't live in it yeah that's how my house is kind of growing up honestly we had like a my parents redid our living room and it was it was it's beautiful but we had like a really nice rug and so it was like no (laughs) eating near the rug like no eating near the rug whatever and I'm like 
what the heck? I'm like, yeah. I, I'm like 10 years old. I just want to go eat my Cheeto Puffs and like watch TV and literally on the floor, yeah. you know? But yeah, you know, some, people, changes. <laughs> some people have like literal rooms and it's like, okay, this is like the sitting room, yes. but like you're not allowed to like actually say, like you could tell no yeah. one goes into the yeah. sitting room. Like they have like a, a living room that you could actually live in and then like a living room that like no one's allowed to come. One of my exes, their, their, the couch in their home had a plastic cover on it. So that you couldn't, it was literally a plastic cover. So I like, no, went no. to sit down and it was like sinking and I was like, um, but it was so that it didn't get dirty. And I was like, y'all, yeah. I'm like, just, just get a couch you actually want to sit on that you don't need to put a plastic cover on. They'd have guests over and guests would like sleep on the plastic cover. I'm like, what? Yeah, it was so weird. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Okay. Um, let's go into some more financial mistakes that you guys submitted on our Instagram. Um, this one was a good one. So Thinking a nine to five was a stable option and wouldn't lay me off was the exact verbiage submitted. And I think like so many people can relate to this. Um, yeah, just like growing up thinking that if you go to college and get a good job and you work for a big company that like that's kind of like the stable, most practical way to kind of go about life. And then all of a sudden you realize that that company doesn't care about you at all. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people have asked me because I freelance full time. They've been like, don't you feel worried about the fact that your clients could dip at any moment? And I'm always like, no, I feel 10 times more secure because if I had a nine to five and I get laid off, my income is all going out the window. Yeah. I actually just a few days ago, I found out that a client was unfortunately shutting down their company and that meant that I'm losing them as a client. And I was like, well, I still have like five other clients that I'm making money from it doesn't actually matter that much, right? Like I'm still staying yeah. afloat. I still have enough to pay my bills. I'm good. Versus if I got completely laid off, yeah, my income is all going out the window. Yeah, it goes back to like the income, like diversification aspect, not so much that like nine to fives are bad and like, don't yeah. go, like not everyone has to be self-employed. Like this is totally no. <laughs> a lifestyle choice over like a, like one size career fits all. Yeah. Um, but just kind of like, even if you do think that a nine to five is like maybe the best option for you or not nine to five, just like any type of like full-time W2 um, occupation is like what is best for you. Just considering ways to kind of diversify your income or building up the skills that can easily be like like transferred to yeah something. transferred to yeah. something else like maybe like so I just got an Instagram DM the other day and a girl was like unfortunately like my company just did another round of layoffs um and I like didn't make the cut this time like what do I do like we were just kind of talking back and forth and I was like think about like your transferable skills and while you're looking for that next full-time opportunity find ways to like diversify your income between like maybe freelancing taking on side gigs and then also just like part-time jobs babysitting like finding other ways to kind of diversify your income um either while you're waiting for another full-time job or even like when you do eventually get that next full-time job yeah I feel like it's smart to always have something in your back pocket I know when I graduated or even during COVID I signed up to be an Instacart grocery mm -hmm. delivery driver and I was like shopping and delivering I groceries. Too. yeah I loved it I it was like a <laughs> supermarket sweep like I, yeah. I I would be like running through that grocery store it was so fun but I made bank doing it because it was COVID and I was like, I mean, I was, you had me, it was embarrassing. I would literally be like running to the grocery store, I'm not running, but like speed walking. Cause the faster you went, the yeah. better pay you yeah, got. You're, so you're yeah. like challenging yourself. Yeah, no, exactly. It's literally like a race against myself. Um, but I like, I had that and I developed that as, you know, I became really good at it. I had tons of like five-star reviews. And then when I started my business, I did it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I did my business full time. Then I also did Instacart. And I knew that if it didn't work out, like my business didn't work out, I always had that in my back pocket. And I still am registered on the app. Like mm -hmm. I could go do it tomorrow if I wanted to. And I just think it's smart to to always have something 
on the back burner. Just keep something in your in your back pocket in case that does that does happen. Yeah. Well, next one that I thought was really interesting is saying yes to being in way too many either like groomsmen parties or bachelorette parties. Um, and not necessarily like the party or not. But what's the bridal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> not bachelorette, uh, but I guess that kind of like goes along with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just like saying yes to being being in like too many bridal parties in your twenties, or I guess even in your thirties. But yeah, it's expensive. I was um in a bridal party a couple years ago. I think maybe this was last year. Um, and I added up the cost. Like I was posting some like TikToks about it and stuff, and I think the cost ended up being like thirty five hundred dollars. Um to be in that wedding between like the bachelorette party it was like a whole vacation getting your hair done your makeup um buying the dress like the bridal shower like I feel like you kind of just write a blank check yeah yeah honestly it reminds me too of um the whole thing of like birthday parties in your or like birthday weekends Mm -hmm. things like that as well in your 20s I know I've had friends especially since after college a lot of my friends kind of disperse they're like oh I want to do a birthday weekend and I'm usually like I have a friend who plans one every year and she lets us know literally her birthday was in August. She let us know last October. So like she, and it was like, she had the itinerary and everything. So we, yeah, yeah. She's, she's a planner and I'm like, okay, now I have time to save for it. But I feel like there is a lot of pressure with that to like do mm-hmm. a birthday weekend, to do a celebration, whatever. Yeah. And like, I ended up like my friend had a, um, birthday celebration at a club earlier this year and he's one of my best friends. So I, of course I was going to go. It was not an issue for me financially, but thinking about it from like an outside perspective, we paid for the hotel, which is like a hundred dollars. I bought him drinks. I was buying like a few other people drinks who just like, you know, people that maybe were hesitant to buy drinks because of the cost of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I was buying drinks for myself. So I probably spent like $200, $250 probably with his gift and everything. So I'm like, oh my God, like that's one night. You know, when you think about when people do a longer birthday weekend too. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, I think it's all about, and obviously it's like you spend your money on things that like fulfill you and like fill your cup. Um, so the people that are super close to you, like you do want to celebrate them and you do want to be involved in their bridal party and their bachelorette party and do all of the like wedding things, but just like really thinking through the ask before committing to something so like if you do get asked to be in a bridal party or anything like that just kind of really thinking through like maybe asking more questions like hey like what are you expecting of me if I am going to be like a bridesmaid or where are you planning to do your bachelorette and like would you be offended if I wanted to be in your wedding but didn't want to go into Mm -hmm. the bachelorette and things like that just like kind of asking more questions um so that you're like not in a position where you feel like you have to spend your money on things that like don't you don't feel yeah to yeah you're not sitting there having to make mm-hmm. a game time decision being like I already told them I was going to commit to yeah. this and now I'm not and now mm-hmm. I feel shitty because I'm backing out yeah, yeah it is it's it I think it a lot of people just think oh my god yeah of course yeah. I want to be part of this it could be so much fun and then you're like whoa yeah. you, get the, you get the bill for the first thing and you're like yeah oh my god <laughs> like you're like what this dress costs five hundred dollars I'm gonna mm-hmm. wear it one time like I've seen, um, I've seen this law on TikTok recently where brides are starting to like, when they ask their, um, bridal party, if they want to be in the wedding, like printing out kind of like a layout of all of the associated costs. Oh, so it's like, okay, I'm asking you to be in my wedding. 
And if you do want to be in my wedding, here's generally how much money you're going to be spending. Like the dress is probably going to be $200. I do want you to get your hair and makeup done so that everyone looks nice. I do want you to buy like the jewelry that's going to match everyone. I do want to go to like X, Y, and Z for my bachelorette and like yeah. all of that totaled up is this, are you okay with that? So it's kind of just like being transparent up front, which I like love the idea. Yeah, I love that. I feel like it's very uh, presumptuous to just like assume that everyone's going to afford it or they're going to find the room in their budget to do it, which I we could do a whole episode oh, about this. But yeah, it, I think it's kind of, I don't know. It's yeah. like weird. It's like, oh, I want you to be part of this, but I'm not going to tell you how much it costs yes. until right before. And then I'm going to expect you to find the money somehow, <laughs> some way and just be fine with it and not think. Yeah, it's like it's very weird. One hundred percent. Let's look at some other ones. Oh, I thought this was like a fun one. We don't have to spend too much time on it. But someone said spending all of my money from a retail job at the same store I worked at, <laughs> <laughs> which like I kind of love this because I've actually posted a couple TikTok videos on this. Is like thinking through like where your part time job is going to be, um, like whether you're in college or whether like retail is your full time job yeah. even. Um, thinking through like what your job is going to be based on like the employee perks, but I was coming at it from the, um, kind of viewpoint of like leveraging those employee perks, like get ahead, whether it's like, for example, my retail job in college was at a Macy's and I like loved the employee discounts because like for holidays, everyone would get like super big discounts on, like I would get them perfume from Macy's and like just different things. I felt like I could get so much out of my employee perks but it also wasn't a place that I like shopped at regularly. So I didn't feel like I was just like on my shift being like, Oh, I want this. Oh, I want this. And then like my paycheck all just like goes right back to Macy's. (laughs) Yeah. My first job was at McDonald's. So (laughs) we got like half off food when we're working, but I never really like ate there. So my second job was at DSW, like the shoe store. But the same thing. I, you only need so many shoes. Yeah. So I wasn't buying stuff all the time, but I have heard of this being a thing, especially Mm -hmm. I've heard people who work at like old Navy gap, Banana Republic, like that. Because I've heard the discount is really good. I think I had a friend who used to work there and it was like 50% off. Mm-hmm. So she was constantly like buying stuff because she'd buy the sales stuff and then get 50% off. Yes. But then same thing, her whole, like her paycheck was going back to it quite a lot. 100%. And like when you're working retail and you're like hanging the clothes, like you have to like look at them. You're like forced to stop for like an entire shift or board. You're just like kind of like folding things being like, oh, that's actually cute. Yeah. Like you just like see more things that you want. So like being mindful about that. Um, I think it's funny. The other thing that kind of goes along with this, um, and this is sort of back to the credit card one too is store credit cards no one submitted this surprisingly but like I always talk about this people will be like oh well do you think it's a good idea if I get like the Target card or like the Nordstrom card or like whatever because I shop there anyway and it's like do you want a reason to spend more money there (laughs) because if you have the card like um some of my friends would like do this they would have like TJ Maxx cards in Mm -hmm. college and they think that it's a good deal because they're saving more money or getting more points at somewhere they already shop yeah because of that they're shopping so much more there yeah I think if you already do a lot of shopping there it makes sense for example my mom has a Kohl's credit card Mm. and that's where my brother his entire wardrobe is pretty much from Kohl's or Old Navy and my mom also would that was like her main place that she bought clothes all the time um and home stuff too Mm -hmm. and so she ended up getting the card and it's she gets all sorts of offers from it so it makes sense it's a significant difference my brother is like he orders everything on amazon so i think he might have like the amazon credit card but that's because he quite literally orders everything yes. on Amazon. Yeah, like, so if you're that yeah. loyal to a brand, I guess exactly. That makes sense. Yeah, but otherwise, I you know I, I remember uh, somebody I forget who I was talking to the other day, but they got the Victoria's Secret credit card, 
and they were like, oh, I thought it was the shit. Like, I was so cool. I put, like, $500 worth of stuff on it, and then it took them, like, five years mm-hmm. to pay it off. Yeah. And it was it was literally just, like, stuff from the, like, it's just, you <laughs> like just need, yeah, you <laughs> do not need that many, like, bras and underwear, you know what I mean? Um, I think Victoria's Secret did such a good job with their credit cards, because they're, they're like, like, pink, like, they're yeah. so cute, oh, yeah. like, everyone they make it so Victoria's Secret card. Yeah, I think, I mean, and I was, like, kind of talking to this person, I obviously wouldn't share who they were, but, um, you know, they were, like, comfortable with this choice, and they were saying, like, oh, they wish they knew, you know, differently sooner on, so I'm not airing their dirty laundry but you know it's something that you really do have to think through like don't just get it because you're at the cash register and they're saying oh you'll get an extra 20 percent off like it is a credit card <laughs> you know you really did and not need 20 percent off of your like 90 dollar bill yeah. like okay you're saving 12 dollars and then yeah, 18 bucks yeah and now you're gonna good. be in credit card debt for a really long time right. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah no it doesn't make sense yeah the last one here um would be related to i guess just like student loans and college in general um one person said and these are their words not mine stupid useless college majors (laughs) which i thought was really funny but i do think it's a good like i think a lot of people do relate to this like follow your passions maybe don't do it at a four-year expensive university maybe like take a course that you find from someone like there's so many other ways to like get that education if you're passionate about something that does not require a college degree. Yeah, I think if you're listening to this or watching the the video version and you are, you know, maybe 18, you're like just going into college. One thing that my high school had us do that I think was really helpful was we had to look at the expected salary of the role that we wanted. And of course, you know, the role that I wanted at 18 ended up changing, but we had to look at that. And that made me really think about where I was going. I still went out of state with no scholarships. Um, <laughs> I paid crap ton of money. But it was like, you, I mean, I initially wanted to be a lawyer. So I figured I'd make enough money at the end. And I had to go to law school. So I wanted a good degree for my bachelor's so I could get into law school I wanted. But I feel like there are a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I want to be a teacher, for example. And I know the average salary in the area I want to teach ideally is $40,000. And then they go to a private institution where they graduate with $100,000 of student loan debt for just their bachelor's. And in Massachusetts, you have to have a master's to do it too. So I'm like, the math is not mathing there. You know, it doesn't make sense. And I think that if I could go back, I would also like think it through more. Mm-hmm. What's my expected salary and what am I spending? Yeah. And maybe like if you do think that college is for you, but you're considering a major that maybe doesn't have like a super. And what I feel like the whole teaching thing is different from, I think this comment might have been related to something like artsy or like creative yeah. or something. Um, like maybe something that still, they didn't have an R. Yeah, yeah. Like still go to college. You could get like a business degree or something and like take those courses on the side or like take them outside of watch YouTube videos on them, figure out how to like freelance those skills or yeah. like do something else. Maybe don't spend the like $50,000 of tuition on it and still learn the skills or even like double major. You yeah. know, like I knew people mm-hmm. who they really wanted to do a graphic design major, but their parents were really adamant about them picking something more quote unquote practical. Mm-hmm. And so they would also do like a double major yeah. in like software engineering or, you know, something that, that That's such they, a good they felt like that there was more job security. Cause I think what happens is I think a lot of people, and I, I 
was um in high school I went to a trade school and I studied like a creative field at the trade school and so a lot of my friends ended up going to art school after after high school and I think it's just important to be realistic about it if you really like art and that's in your into creative mm-hmm. stuff pursue it because you're you're going to enjoy your yeah. life a lot more than if you force yourself to do something that you don't like but at the same time be realistic if your ideal is to be a singer or you know what I mean mm-hmm get real with yourself about the data like yeah is there what's what can you pursue yeah and can you pursue being a singer without spending fifty thousand dollars yeah like think about it yeah i I think that just thinking about the the potential for you to end up where you want to end up um is is important before you make that choice to go somewhere so expensive and i honestly think don't and I, i would say this to myself too i went to the university of connecticut i spent a bunch of money going out of state and I ended up graduating with a double major in human rights, urban studies, and a minor in social justice organizing. Yes, like that program at UConn was not offered at any public institution in Massachusetts, so I actually got a discount at UConn. But there's no need to go to a very expensive institution for something that is not a niche program. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a very niche program, I have a friend who did genetics, and there's like only a few programs, the master's programs that that's mm-hmm. what she doing. In, in pharmacogenomics, which she did. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. she has to, she doesn't have many <laughs> options, you know what I mean? Versus like if you're going for business or yeah. if you're going for communications or something like that that is a bit more broad, mm-hmm. maybe consider going somewhere that is a little bit cheaper so that you don't graduate and then look at your debt total and be like, this is a stupid useless degree <laughs> because it is so expensive and it's not even maybe what I want to do or now I'm struggling to get a job or something like that. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like we could do complete episodes dedicated oh, yeah. on <laughs> like on this topic is yeah, like, <laughs> yes um especially on college because i think like decreasing the cost of education is going to be so big for so many people to like get their financial shit together so yes we can totally make dedicated episodes to that the last thing related to colleges and like student loans is spending student loans on travel and personal use um which i definitely think a lot of people view this as a financial mistake um I feel like when you take out student loans, you can kind of, it's like a blank check again. Yeah. Like you literally kind of have access to unlimited money. And yeah. when you're 18 years old and you don't really understand the grasp of like, okay, if I'm a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt, when I graduate, um, what's my monthly payment going to be for how many years you kind of don't think through it like that. Um, so you kind of just see it as a way to go to the bar on the weekends and go on spring break. Which is crazy. I didn't know this was actually a thing until after I graduated college. And I started hearing people's stories more because I my money got dispersed directly to my school. Like I didn't get any mm-hmm. of that. But if you get scholarship money that then covers it, you can get a refund from the institution. And a lot of people will start to to play around with that money. But then it's like, no, no, you still like, yeah, you you owe, you still owe all <laughs> that money back. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, like if your, if your university gives you a discount after you've already borrowed that loan, then they give you a refund. Well, yeah. that's still loan it's money. Still it just came back. To, yeah, it's just coming back to you in your pocket now. Yeah. So, like, go use it to pay off your mm-hmm. loan. Don't use it for things. Yeah, like travel in the bar. Yeah, and, and all that. I will say, like, I sort of did. I won't say I sort of did this. Um, but I feel like it was a weird situation for us when we were in college, just because of like the COVID yeah. student loan pause or whatever. Yeah. So. I got my undergrad and my master's degree. I got my MBA and my last semester of my MBA program, I got a graduate assistant position and through that graduate assistant position, they pay your tuition. But by the time that hit my like loans have already paid the whatever. Uh, Yeah. So I ended up getting a refund check of like $12,000. 
Um, and I was working a little bit at the time, so I didn't really like need that money for anything. It wasn't like I like needed it to live that semester. Um, and I was going to put it back onto my loans, but then I was like, it's 0% interest right now. So why don't I just like put it in my high yield savings account until like, yeah. so I kind of did that. I just like put it in my savings. Yeah. And then I actually made a TikTok about this when I finally started my channel, like how I graduated with X amount in my savings. And like, I said in the video that a big chunk of it was from, and people in the comments were like, you're like that's not real. Like, they were like mad about it. I don't know. And yeah. I was like, well, it's 0% interest. So like, I'm going to use it eventually. And I did, I ended up using it to pay off my single loans just a couple yeah. of years later. And I think it's smart. You, you put it like you leverage the fact that there was 0% interest and you put it in a high yield savings account to earn more interest on yeah. it. But it's not like you were like, oh, great. I'm going to go and check my ass at the club and like buy drinks. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I can go and spring break. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. You could have easily done like yeah. you, you sense. did keep it to pay back your loans. For sure. Just like in a, in a brain. Yeah. Like a little brown Two years later. Well, I think that's like all that I have here. Yeah. Um, this was a fun yeah, episode. It was. Yeah. Like we said in our last episode, we are really looking for feedback here. Um, obviously we're very new to podcasting. This is only our fourth episode of the Girls Talk Money podcast. So if you would be so kind to give us some feedback, Instagram, I would say is probably the yeah. best place to do yeah, it. Just shoot us a DM. Um, yeah. We'll put our, we'll link our Instagram in the show notes and yeah, just give us some feedback. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what we could do better and any episode ideas you have for the podcast for sure and thanks for engaging so much with this one and like responding to our stories and and giving us some of your you know financial mistakes to talk about we want this to be really like conversational and really bringing you guys into the conversation so yeah thanks for listening and come back next week